This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, David Aronovich here. Today is the last instalment of our special series, The Legacy of Penryn Castle. If you haven't heard the first two episodes, you should start there. I want you to get the full picture from the story. This episode is also narrated by our producer, Brenna Daldorf, who reported this story. But first, just a warning. This podcast is about a grim part of our past that still affects our present, and this particular episode contains references to suicide. Penryn Castle is a place of opulence, of intricate carvings, of heavy furniture and thick fabrics, of paintings in gilded frames. A lot of the paintings show the male members of the family that owned the castle, the penants gazing out at those below. But there are three paintings that stand out, that hint at the story of where the family made so much of their money. The first two show Jamaica. What you see here is such an artificial image of what plantation life was like. The third painting shows something we've only alluded to so far. This is a painting of the Penryn's Lake Quarry. It's by Henry Hawkins, and it was done in 1832. It's a really striking depiction in a place that otherwise gives you very little information about where the money came from, what was going on just a couple of miles down the road. Today, we find out about the pennant quarry and how money made using slavery in Jamaica shaped this landscape in northwestern Wales, and learn why some local people still won't set foot in Penryn Castle. Then finally, our journey will reach its destination. We're going to Penryn Castle. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Brenna Daldorf. Today, The Legacy of Penryn Castle, Part 3. It's cloudy and cool the morning of our second day in Bangor in northwest Wales, the sea a grey landscape of its own. When they emerge from the hotel, April Louise Pennant and her dad Gil are wearing all white, gleaming. They say they chose these clothes for our visit to Penryn Castle to honour their ancestors, who were enslaved by the family who built it. But we aren't going there just yet. First, we meet up with historian Marion Gwynn. She's going to show us a little more of the local area. 
And we're in a taxi now. We've left Bangor and we are actually now travelling through part of the old Penryn estate. And we're going to be driving through the old quarry village of Bethesda and we're going right to the top. The road we take is winding, hugging the edge of a valley. Below us, the Ogwen River twists across pastures on the valley floor. The slopes of either side are becoming higher and steeper. Then suddenly we start to see houses, many capped in grey shingles. Oh, we've entered into the village. Am I right, Marion, that this is slate? Like, bits of the houses are made of slate? Not so much the houses, but certainly all the roofs would be. Here, here are cut-offs of slate. This wall there is made all of slate. We're now coming into Bethesda, and if we look on the right-hand side, we can see on the mountainside where Penryn Quarry actually is. That quarry was the Pennant family's other big project, their other big moneymaker. And the slate from Wales and the sugar from Jamaica are intimately linked. No other quarry in the area was to develop as big as Penryn so quickly because of that financial input of money that they had from the Jamaica sugar plantations that were, of course, worked by enslaved labour. Out of the car windows, we see a landscape dotted with mounds of waste slate, bare and dark, rising as high as the hills. Just then, the view opens up in front of us. We're coming into the first part of Snowdonia now, and the sun, I can think, see, is just beginning to peek through, so I'm hoping very soon, because we're now in one of the most spectacular landscapes in the whole of the UK. Look at it, wow. So it's my first time coming to this region. I've heard so much about Snowdonia. And so this was all part of Penryn Estate? This this was all part of Penryn Estate. Most of this is now owned by the National Trust. Hang on. Rich, if we can pull in... You know the cafe car park at, at the top? Can we just pull into here? Our taxi driver, Rich, stops the car in a small car park. It's still fairly quiet, but a few people with hiking gear and walking sticks gather in small groups nearby. Having come all this way, it would just be fab for you to see just some of the scenery for a second. So um, what I suggest is that we just cross the road to have a look at Llanogwan. We cross a small road and stand next to a mountain lake. It spreads out in front of us like spilled silver, cradled by the mountains. Gil, April Louise's dad, is the first to speak. I suppose the vastness of the estate is quite profound. The enormity, the expansion of it... it As far as the eye can see in every direction, the vastness is quite profound. It's big. It's like I knew on paper that they owned part of Snowdonia, and then actually like having you bring us here to see it, it's like, oh wow, they actually owned this. This is my first time coming and seeing and understanding just the extent and just how much has come from the slave plantations. I'm just speechless. We leave the lake behind and turn back to head towards the quarry town of Bethesda. Marion tells us about how every part of this landscape was shaped by Richard Pennant, the first Lord Penryn, with money made in Jamaica. He called himself Richard the Improver and took great care cultivating that image. But people in Bethesda today don't see Richard or his descendants as improvers. A lot of that has to do with the strike that happened between 1900 and 1903 at the Pennant Quarry. The quarry workers went on strike over union rights, pay, and working conditions. 
exactly like the miners' strike in the 1980s, where you had some families staying on strike and some families going to work. It created enormous division between the quarrymen themselves. The bitterness of that is still there today. When we get back to Bethesda, the town built for workers at the Penance Lake Quarry, we go to talk to some local people about their history. That's okay. So grab a seat and spread out. What is this building? So we are a social enterprise. So we own both buildings. The social enterprise we visited is called Green Valley, and that's... Maleri Davis, and I am a community developer in Bethesda. April-Louise, Gil, and I all crowd into Mel's office. We do introductions, and then Marion prompts April-Louise. Would you like to tell Mel what your surname is? Okay, so my surname, my dad's surname, is Pennant. Pennant? Oh, really? Whoa, okay. Right. Explain your reaction. Uh, Well, yeah, so that has a a very different, uh, you know, meaning for us. And the relationship between the Penance family and the people of Bethesda, obviously, can be difficult. There's a lot of history to the relationship, a lot of bitter feelings as well, especially towards Castell Penryn, Penryn Castle. You know, a lot of local people, they won't go to the castle at all. They feel they were subject to hard working conditions. Mm-hmm from the perspective of what what happened in Jamaica, you know, I don't admire that person at all. So old miners and so on, you know, they'd tell you, I wouldn't set foot inside that castle. Um, But things are shifting. I think, you know, the National Trust are acknowledging this dark history that needs to be taught in our schools. I have three young kids and I'll make sure that they know about this. I'm bringing them up in Bethesda and they need to know about this history, this dark history. Historian Marion Gwynn says that Mel is far from the only local person thinking about the connections between their community and what happened in Jamaica. Marion believes that Bethesda's painful history, the strike that devastated this community, and the anger against the penance, the anger that still burns bright, has in some ways fueled that exploration. One thing you might be wondering about is the descendants of the White Pennant family, how they engage with this legacy. I did try to contact the two brothers who are at the end of the direct line who built this castle. A lawyer for the older brother, Richard Douglas Pennant, sent me a statement on his behalf. This is what it said. The Douglas Pennant family is the descendant of a family which has been living in North Wales since at least the 14th century. Like many, indeed most, landowning families in the UK, it derives some of its historical wealth from sugar plantations in Jamaica, which were originally worked by African slave labour. The most conspicuous product of that wealth, Penryn Castle, and most of its contents, either belong to the National Trust or to the nation, and are all available for the public to enjoy. Slavery in Jamaica was not then illegal, and not generally regarded as wrong until the movement to abolish it grew in momentum and legislation was passed in the UK in the early 19th century. The present members of the family abhor racism and exploitation of any kind, and the family's association with slavery, albeit over 200 years ago, is regretted. They're concerned now to be responsible landowners and continue to contribute to the community in and around Bangor. The younger of the brothers, Edmund Douglas Pennant, is a family historian. 
He declined to be interviewed for this podcast, but he did speak to BBC journalist Sean Fletcher in 2016. Richard Pennant was probably one of the most remarkable businessmen of his time, ruthless in his dealings. He came in and rescued a, an ailing economy. But the fact that much of that money was based on yeah. the slave trade, yeah. does that taint your view on him? In a way, it does, that he did use it, because what he did by today's standards was appalling. But you've got to remember that he was a man of his time. But the slave trade wasn't just appalling, it was one of history's great crimes. It's one of the greatest crimes ever happened in history. It uh, was by far worse than what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. We know that the family are still benefiting from the ill-gotten gains of slavery. I don't know. I just think, what can I say? <laughs> They're being respected, but, you know, my enslaved ancestors <laughs> weren't able to choose not to work for free for 350 years. But while the living penance may be part of the family who benefited most from the enslavement of people on their Jamaica plantations, the legacy of that enslavement seeped into British society. The wealth generated from the slave trade built stately homes, it funded schools, and as we saw today, it developed quarries, built roads, and even purchased mountains. Thinking about this, about these connections, we leave Bethesda behind. There's really only one last stop. It's finally time to visit the castle. We'll do that after the break. Hello, I'm Emma Tucker, editor of the Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready for the castle? Yeah, I'm feeling ready now that I've got flowers. I'm wearing all white. My dad's wearing all white because it's, it's a colour to, to honour in a lot of like African traditions. I'm not sure whether there is graves um, of our, my ancestors. So for me, the castle is a monument of their contribution and I'm feeling the, the weight of that, which is why I'm also wearing a T-shirt that says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. the sign on the right. I can't say the Welsh version. Marion, would you like to say? Penryn. Castell Penryn. We pull into a car park tucked in the trees next to a visitor center, and then we start walking towards the castle. I'm just like holding my dad's hand really tightly, FYI, because I'm just feeling it, isn't it? The, con- the connection. We can see the top looking out of the greenery. I'm just taking it all in. How do you feel, Dad? Amazed. Humbled. This is where the journey starts. Or part of our journey, part of our history. The so- monument. All that I represent, so empire, slavery, my enslaved ancestors, they would have never got to see this. So I'm seeing it for them. But we're snapped out of the moment when a little go-kart pulls up. We're going to ride the rest of the way. Okay. <laughs> are, you, are you all in? Yeah. <laughs> We finally pull up in front of the rambling structure. Eleanor Harding is waiting for us. She's the assistant curator for the National Trust in Wales and the curator for Penryn Castle. I particularly want to speak to Eleanor because she was brought on by the National Trust to help rethink the way the history of the castle is presented to the public, specifically the connections between the castle, the plantations, and the quarry. Eleanor quickly got involved with an existing project called Colonial Countryside, run by a professor at the University of Leicester. Primary school kids were invited to Penryn and shown objects from the collection that connected to the Caribbean or East India. The kids were then asked to write poems about it. Eleanor turned the poems into a special temporary exhibition called What a World, which is currently on display. She tells April Louise that she's keen to know what she thinks. I think it would be best if you went through the castle yourselves, yeah. and I'm not there to try and give some kind of academic gloss on it no, or anything. No, yeah, take some time in there to see, and then basically come and have some time. The first room we step into is the Great Hall. The ceiling arches above it, making the giant room feel like a cathedral. Light falls to the floor from stained glass windows. Noise from a video, part of a temporary exhibition, echoes around us, bouncing off the walls of the space. It's huge. I'm speechless, to be honest, because... The contrast to how my um, ancestors would have been living 
is just so stark. We pause for a moment before Marion beckons to us, leading us into the next room. We're now leaving the Grand Hall into the library. It's just a glorious room where you see extravagance and the spending of wealth. The Great Hall was surprising because of the space, the sheer size of it. But Marion's right. The library is striking because of its opulence. Gold and white swirls twist across the ceiling in intricate patterns. There's more stained glass, framed by heavy velvet drapes. To one side is a massive billiards table, which they had specifically made out of the slate that contributed to their wealth. Like so many National Trust properties, Penryn is set up to look like its owners just stepped out for a minute. The gold, the brass, the carvings, the marble, the wood, you know, this is like the, the extreme. This is when the family was at the top of their power and the top of their wealth. In between the portraits and rich furnishings, the permanent collection, are the poems written by schoolchildren. But it's the poem we see a few minutes later that takes our breath away. One room yields to another until finally we enter the grand staircase. It spirals towards the ceiling, each inch of it intricately carved. Marion tells us that it took 20 years to build. It's awe-inspiring, the craftsmanship, but also the money that would have gone into it. We see the object that inspired the poem first. It's a small Egyptian statue, dark, smooth, regal, locked in a case at the bottom of the stairs. I can imagine the statue would feel cool to the touch. It's nearly 4,000 years old, one of the oldest objects in the castle. My eyes wander up to the poem above it, written by 11-year-old Fatima. He had money, and I had history. His money bought my history. Fatima, 11. We are still. The staircase like a tomb. The statue looking coolly back at us. The next room holds another surprise. Now to go into the dining room where they used to entertain. Oh, this, my God, yeah. These are the two plantation paintings that first generated my interest in finding out about this history. What about its actual interest, though? You know, they're loveliest pieces of art. Mm. Even without any background knowledge, I just knew that they were false, mm. you know? What you see here is such an artificial image of what plantation life was like. After the paintings, we move into the dining room. The table is set before us, and the walls are covered with portraits. So I just got a shake seeing all these white men grimacing. And I feel heavy. I'm starting to feel heavy as I keep going around. Mm. The painting I want to show you the most is the one that's directly behind you. That man there is Richard Pennant's first Lord Penryn. So he's the one who was writing all those letters that we saw in the archive. During his lifetime, that's when they had the most amount of enslaved workers, which was around about a thousand people. April Louise looks at the picture intently, then suddenly turns to me and Marion. Because I remember I was saying that um, when I was first initially looking at the Pennant Project, I was given a website. Mm. I believe that's the picture that was in the website. And I remember seeing this picture and bursting into tears because it was the first time I had connected a face to the slave owners. In fact, I can even remember this picture amongst so many others. It speaks volumes. We gaze at Richard Pennant for a while. 
It's Richard's expression that gets to all of us. There's no smile, just a look of determination. He looks like a man who'll stop at nothing. We gaze up at him, but he looks steadily off into the distance. I just had a, a question. I mean, so we're standing here and you're basically facing Lord Penryn. Mm. Is there anything you want to say to him? No. No. We leave Lord Penryn. I have an interview with Eleanor planned. Well, that's what was supposed to happen. But when I walked into the room where the interview was meant to be taking place, I realized that April Louise and Gil were already there asking questions. So I just turned on my recorder and the mics that were nearby. So I, I guess, I mean, the first thing I would want to say is thank you so much for coming. That's Eleanor Harding, Penryn's curator. But April Louise was there with a request, a permanent memorial in the castle to those enslaved on the Pennant plantations. Obviously nothing can ever change what has happened, but I would like to see for myself something which I could take my future children to see, but there should be something in plain sight, the same way that the riches are in plain sight for everyone to see. What we're saying is benefits to doing it for the richness of people's experience coming to this thing. That's Gil, April Louise's dad. So I think it's a positive, it, add, it will add value to the people visiting here, their experience of what this building means, what it represents. And as I said, it's also something that can be used in a positive way to heal the rift that exists in this country. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree as well. So how can we move these conversations to reality? Because, um, yeah, it's time. I think the first thing is to recognise that obviously we can't do it alone. So having these conversations and your generosity of time and like emotional energy is... <laughs> We are so lucky to benefit from that. We can be open to having those conversations and we can seek them out because the National Trust doesn't own any of these sites. They are owned by the people of the UK. Interpretation of places has changed so much over time and what people used to think was significant about Penryn is now only a very small part of what we understand to be significant about Penryn. And if now, in 2021... If I, as the curator now of Penryn, say, well, I've heard from April Louise and I've heard from Gil, and I now have the full picture of the significance of this site, then I, that would be, like, firstly the most arrogant thing I could say and wouldn't take us any further. So I completely take your point about a permanent placement of something that is always a trigger. The question, I suppose, is, is how to do it and how to do it well. At this point, Marion, who had been listening to, jumped in. She was speaking to April Louise. What would you like to see here? So what I'm saying is it's great that we're having conversations, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. Fantastic. You're also doing exhibitions, which happen periodically, but there needs to be something that, like this castle, which has lasted through hundreds and hundreds of years, there now needs to be a plaque, a statue, a monument as a starting point for everybody to know that there was enslaved Africans that contributed to the wealth of this castle. So I think it's not a question of what we would like. I'm sure together, if we put our heads together, this can happen. And we don't want to be here this time next year still having the conversation. So 
with the collective brains. Look at the smiling faces, I can see <laughs> some smiling faces. It can be done. Sometimes, though, engaging with this history can result in pushback from visitors who don't want to hear it. Eleanor's colleague, Rian Cahill, the visitors' operations and experience manager at Penryn, says that they've had a bit of that with the Water World exhibit. I had a guide, a young guide, a 16-year-old, tell me that a woman was... Um, I'm really upset. I'm really upset. I just want my old National Trust visit. I don't want an uncomfortable visit. Mm. People are looking for a comfortable visit, some, some people, but that's not what we're about. We're about many things. Yeah. We're just about sharing the whole of the history of the castle, yeah. and if you're comfortable with that or uncomfortable with it, it's not something we can control. So yeah. the whole point which takes us back to the purpose of the castle is about education and about how we as a community in the United Kingdom come together and unite. And that's about us understanding our history and every contribution that everybody made to make us who we are. And so wherever you are as a person of colour, when somebody says to you, go back to your country, you can say, well, actually, this is my country. My ancestors contributed to this. Uh, and although I didn't choose to be brought over here, now I'm here, I'm a member of this community. So your 16-year-old guide, when somebody says that to them, he can say, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It is uncomfortable. However, the quarrymen, they did this. They helped to build this country. Okay, so it'd be great to get the quarrymen's perspective come back to the castle, okay? Come back, you're part of this story. The people from around the country, the people of African descent, we contributed. So we see this as something to unite the entire nation. That's what we're about, okay? This is the history of the country. <laughs> Would you like to come and guide for us? <laughs> Eleanor, Rian, Gill, and April Louise exchanged details, promising to continue the conversation. But we were nearing the end of our time at the castle, and there was one thing left to do. April Louise needed to place her flowers, and she knew exactly where she wanted to do it. I think with the guy. Do you want the guy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you want the guy? <laughs> the guy, Richard Pennant, the First Lord Penryn, the man staring out of the painting, the man who had owned more than a thousand enslaved people, who had built part of Penryn Castle the man whose records we had read in the archives yesterday. Um, so we're just waiting now to put my flowers underneath Richard. April Louise, Gil and I slipped off our shoes so we could step onto the carpet under the painting. Gil had his camcorder rolling. April Louise stood tall in the white outfit she had so carefully chosen. So these flowers, which I am placing here under Richard Pennant on the 1st of July, 2021, are in memory of the enslaved penance in Claverdon, Jamaica, whose blood, sweat, and tears contributed significantly to the wealth that built this castle from myself, April Louise Pennant, and my dad, Gil Pennant, and our branch of the Pennant family. So today we honor them, we acknowledge them, we thank them, we remember them. So I'll place it here. And I'm just going to say some of the names of the enslaved which we saw in the archives, which I can remember. So there was Big Chloe, there was Joan, 
there was Esther, there was Rachel, there was Tony, Mingo, E. Pennant, who could have been my direct ancestor, and all the unknown enslaved Africans. So the runaways, the ones that were sold on early, the ones that were killed, the ones that committed suicide and ate dirt because they couldn't endure the plantation. I just want to remember their suffering. Remember that ancestor who had rebellion, who had strength, who continued to survive in the impossible conditions. They made it possible so that I can be here. All of us have a piece of this castle and it's our legacy as much as it was the white penance. A few weeks after our visit, I caught up with Eleanor, the curator at Penryn Castle. I wanted to hear about her plans moving forward. I think I felt privileged to be in a position to be able to have a conversation with April Louise and all of us at Penryn doing a lot of work to kind of be able to start to move towards engaging maturely and with these kind of issues within the castle, which is a long way from where we have, you know, the the castle has been in the past. But she also said the pandemic has been a really tough time for the National Trust and the castle in particular, with a number of job losses. For the past 18 months, looking forward just hasn't really been on any of our agendas. It's been day to day. And April Louise's visit with her father and with you and Marianne was a kind of, it was a bit of a reset for me to start re-engaging with the work that we're really here to do. Eleanor says she's committed to making sure that the story of the people enslaved on the Pennant Plantations is told. She's not sure, however, if the permanent memorial that Gil and April Louise asked for is the right way to go. She wants to keep options open. What we definitely are doing and will be doing in the future, are committed to doing, is there always being an acknowledgement of the role that enslaved people played in the construction of the castle. But that's not necessarily the same as it being a permanent memorial, because a permanent memorial to me means one thing. You put one thing in and then it's there forever. Whereas constant can mean programming, it can mean, well, I suppose it's just more active. But exploring what the value would be of a permanent memorial is something that we obviously need to do. And we need to do it with other people. We can't do that by ourselves. One more thing. Since our visit, Eleanor and the other staff at Penryn have enlarged the card that April Louise left on her flowers and put it on display. On our last night in Bangor, Gil, April Louise, Marion, and I went to go sit on a long pier overlooking the sea, just to reflect. April Louise was happy to have started discussions about a memorial, but she still kept thinking about the wealth we had seen. I guess how it's been passed down generationally, right? The huge wealth that was passed from one to another over and over and over and over again. And the way that slavery was passed down onto my ancestors over and over and over again, right? So while my ancestors' situation was not improving, theirs was considerably. To this day, we found out that they still own part of the grounds. They still own some of the items that are within the property. Yet, the descendants of the enslaved have not got anything. 
have not benefited from the generational wealth that they've contributed, have not been able to even sometimes see this estate or to understand where they fit in, which is, they are the foundation. April Louise believes strongly that we need to find a way to compensate the people enslaved by the British Empire. Reparations. The money from slavery seeped into so many parts of our society and benefited so many people, which makes reparations a huge and complex question. But more people are trying to figure out how to do it. In March 2021, Evanston, Illinois, became the first U.S. city to pay reparations to Black residents who had faced housing discrimination, or to their direct descendants. Back in 2016, BBC journalist Sean Fletcher asked Edmund Douglas Pennant, one of the descendants of the white Pennants, about reparations. Do you have a debt to the descendants of your family's slaves? Morally, there's a debt, but practically, on economic lines, you can't do it because there's so many you know, generations have gone by. But there are organizations and experts in many countries, including the UK, looking at how this could be done. It's something that April Louise believes should happen on a wide scale. This is not about just individual families. This is not just about individual um, towns. So I think another thing that I learned from going on this trip was seeing how the wealth of the Pennant family via the enslaved um, Africans in Jamaica not only contributed to the family, but also the fact that it contributed to them being able to buy the quarry, which basically created livelihoods for the whole of that area in the community, which was also fed back into the Welsh overall national economy, as well as the UK's national economy. Like this was not just down to individuals, right? So that's where it needs to be a top-down approach. And for her, it isn't just about the money. It's also about supporting journeys like this one. We were stripped of our cultural identity, our language, our spirituality and religion. So part of reparations and restorative justice is to at least do something to support that rediscovery and reconnection. Gil, April Louise's dad, is thinking a lot about restorative justice and how it can be used to process this history. Mediation is about both sides acknowledging what went wrong. And of course, the most important thing is admitting that you did something wrong sets you free. So this is a liberating process for all concerned. I think it's an opportunity to bring people together rather than to divide them. Look, in terms of this story, nothing is going to make it better that a man named Kuko died on a plantation in 1812 because he ate dirt. Or that a 21-year-old named Mingo took the incredible risk of running from the plantation where he was enslaved. Or that a child named E. Pennant lived his whole life enslaved, perhaps by his biological father. A plaque on Penryn Castle can't fix that. This podcast can't. Even a check can't. But talking about it, it's a start. For April Louise... Yes, it's great to start having these conversations. Yes, it's great to start the steps for a permanent memorial. But when we talk about justice, when we talk about morality, when we talk about doing what's right, or when we try and say Black Lives Matter, the fact that we're still erasing them is wrong. So we need to do what's right. You've been listening to The Legacy of Penryn Castle, a special series by Stories of Our Times. 
This series was produced and reported by me, Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer was Poppy Damon. Special editing assistance was provided by Rosie Collier. Sound design was by David Crackles. Many thanks to guests April Louise Pennant, Gil Pennant, Marion Gwynn, Ryan Cahill, and Eleanor Harding. Thank you for listening to Stories of Our Times. We'll be back with more stories tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.